Looking for a way to level up your coaching and win more? Get better fast with GMS Plus. GMS Plus is your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Learn from some of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmsted, Keegan Cook, John Spraw, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson. I've learned a great deal from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. And we have a Coach Your Brains Out code for listeners. To get 20% off an annual subscription, go to goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter the code CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. One of the one more thing I want to hit on was you, you did a blog, and we had talked about this when you were with us with LMU at Gulf Shores, and we're kind of doing all this scouting and like facing all these different sorts of teams, and uh, you brought up this idea of archetype archetypes and you, you did a blog about it um and yeah i guess i don't know could you go into that idea and how you would use it in scouting yeah i think it's kind of goes back to the idea of again to link to some of the other uh, stuff you guys have been doing like jamie morrison was talking about storytelling and uh like narrative structure we learn well from narrative structure billy could tell us way more about that um and you kind of have almost uh maybe these sticky names or sometimes kind of archetypes and I think the more that you kind of name things, they they stick more. Um, again, like sometimes we just talk about setters, like, hey, is this a type one setter or a type two setter? A type one setter is like, they're not a threat. We're going to wait for the ball to cross the net before we get it. And type two setters, we're going to make an adjustment. So that's like a, not like an interesting name at all. But, you know, that's kind of an example of, of kind of an archetype or kind of on the beach, like, okay, is this guy a hitter or a shooter? You know, is this, you know, is this blocker look to pull or is this blocker going to, you know, to stay up. Yeah. Really. Well, we were talking about like specifically on the beach, like, okay, from an offensive perspective, we're playing against a team. Are they going to be a team? Like when I'm maybe looking at scouting and, and trying to think about um, kind of how to, how to send a coach uh, some information is like, okay, is this going to be a defensive team that plays a lot of games? Like, are they going to show and take? Are they going to do some of that kind of stuff? And I don't know, let's try to think of like a, a name that a player can, stick with that because if they're in a tournament right like you don't have time for maybe like the scouting reports or huge amount of preparation and even if you have some time the information is going to stick more um when it goes back to something that they rehearse and then or they have a name for and then the cool thing is like i think when you identify these common like archetypes or these common names you, you can implement them into practice you know so you know um just kind of thinking about that, like you can build a game. And sometimes I, I talked about this as like, uh, hey, we, we want to red team this stuff. Like they call it red teaming um, in just, I don't know, various fields. Like the somebody's going to simulate like an opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's, let's do some red team side out. And I'm going to tell the defense what to do, but, uh, but the offense is not going to know what it is. Mm-hmm. So you kind of whisper, okay, hey, I want you guys to like really play a lot of games, like show and take and run a lot of fours and and defender, you, you know, show that you're setting up and then sprint to the line, like do a, like do one of those games. And maybe the offense has got to kind of figure out what they're doing. Or maybe like if you're first introducing this concept, you might tell the offense, hey, the defense is going to do a lot of this show and take, 
So then, you know, here's how to play against that. And okay, or this is going to be a team that's going to pretty sit, they're going to just block a static one the whole time. Like blocker's going to take line, defender's going to step in the wide angle, they're going to try to run down your shot. So like here's how then you want to play offense. So that would be like maybe the introductory phase. And then like a secondary phase might be like the player learns to, re- to recognize it. Um, so, so some stuff like that. And again, this sort of length amount constraints and how can we um, set that up? Um, I've been doing some of these, like this offensive concepts uh, seminar with a few different programs. And something that I talk to as coaches is like, you have to, and we introduce some of the major uh, defensive strategies so that we can know how to play against them on offense. So one of the things that we talk about is like, there's a, there's not that many ways to play defense. Like there's lots of ways um, to be better or worse at it, but there's only a few different ways you can organize your defenders, uh, whether it's on the beach or the defense. So for example, on the indoor side, some teams play more of a perimeter defense and some teams play more of a rotation defense. So we got to teach our teams what that means. And, and, and here's like the practical reality is you cannot tip down the line on a rotation defense. That is the whole point of why teams play rotation defense. Mm-hmm. So, and if we have to reinvent that and explain that in the middle of a timeout, it's not going to work. Right. You have some times in practice and you label that, even if it's just like a very brief 10 minute, 15 minute drill. And this is where we talked about coaching a little, being more prescriptive of tactics and, and letting the players learn some of the skills. It's like, okay, hey, the defense over there is playing rotation. So that means we cannot tip line. And also like kind of the snappy line shot is also not going to be as well because the player is going to run into that. So you can hit hard line because there's no line digger and you can roll into the pot, into the middle. But we're, but we're not going to tip down the line. Or now you might say, okay, here's some, other ways that teams handle tip some of the other ways is the off blocker is going to run under so they're coming under what does that mean now i can't tip into the pot because it's easy for the off blocker to get that one but now i can tip down the line or actually the sharp cut shot is also open okay so we're going to do some high ball the defender is going to come under and you can either tip line or shoot or shoot cross because you have the player coming under so and you want to identify some of the most common situations yeah. you know and and put a little bit of a name on it and then give the player the, you know, one to two most concrete plays out of that. Like that's the introductory phase and that helps sort of build that volleyball IQ. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I used to think about it. I guess it's a little different indoor. Maybe you have a, like a second team who can, who can be, you know, whatever they can be the opponent you're going to play. And maybe as a coach, you're not worried about messing up like your system if the second team is doing it. But on the on the beach, a lot of times, you know, you have lots of teams. And so every team is your first team. And I think I used to think like, oh, if we have them dancing around and doing all those things, it's, you know, not specific. It's going to mess up our, our system. And now I've approached it much more like, no, it's going to add some noise. Even if we don't use this like onto offense or we don't use this, you know, it's adding some noise and they're having to try to figure out like, how can I still control a ball in this situation? So it's, you know, with the added benefit of, the offense is seeing you know this this new pattern and trying to figure out how to kill it. it but it isn't necessarily a bad thing for my defender to to interact with yeah with 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 noise versus you know the the structure i had before so well yeah i guess that's that's a reason i like it now this goes back to one of the things we talked about right in the beginning of this conversation is variability happens to beginning players and advanced players create variability so yeah if your team um one play, they're 
static and one play they're bouncing around and one play they're doing this one because they're not paying attention or they're not doing any intentionality. Yes, that's bad. But a hallmark of an advanced team, you go watch the world championships, the defenders aren't sitting in the same exact defensive scheme the whole entire time. They know how to change and they know when to change. So I, I think, and then also everything that we know, even if they were doing the, the quote unquote wrong thing, we also know you've had Rob Gray on, on the podcast and I actually am working up a series of articles that's going to be uh, more f- for the summer uh, on the Substack is he talks about one of the most robust findings in motor learning is that error amplification is actually a, a, a path to success. And actually mm-hmm. often by having the player deliberately practice the quote unquote error, they actually learn how to do it right. Mm-hmm. So by, for example, practicing one form of defense, they will actually learn more about how to play the other form of defense within reason. Right. So it's like you, maybe right. depending on the skill you're learning, you're not going to have them totally change the defense every single drill. But if they go over there and they're the red team for, for five or 10 minutes and, and then you're off and then they switch, like there's some real learning effect to that, I think, especially if they're conscious of, of what and why and you take a little time to explain. Um, and you do one thing at a time. You don't you don't throw 12 concepts at one practice. You introduce one practice to red team out, one concept to red team out per practice. Like that's a really nice learning effect, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, so now the challenge is on uh, listeners to come up with good names for their archetypes. And if they consider the sorts of defenses you face, or maybe the sorts of offensive systems you see, can you come up with fun names so then you can implement the trickster defense? That's what I think Billy had said. And Billy, did you have another one? I was just going to ask, what what was John Mayer when he played? Me? The, the dull and boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Silent assassin. The silent <laughs> you know, um, and one of the things that I think can be um, really good is also if you can link that to experiences the players have. So for example, like we've talked about, you know, on drills, letting players name a drill or naming it after a player or something that happened at practice, you know, like something that happened organically. Oh, okay. We're naming this drill, the Sophia or whatever it is like that. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? Um, you do stuff like that, that, that has a little bit of resonance um, and players think it. And also some of these sort of uh, tactical or strategical things, you know, for example, something that happened with Canada. Um, one of the good things I think that worked well is uh, we played a match against Bulgaria, a good team, more similar in rank to us. Um, and we were able to, you know, we beat them at five early in the season and they have, uh, you know, Alex Nikoloff, you know, uh, awesome young outside hitter, just, you know, um, kind of incredible guy. And he's, you know, okay, we've got to have a plan on how to defend them and you know, how we defend them, you know, we, uh, we gave them like a slower, we had a kind of a specific blocking lineup. And then we really had three kind of this cross court nest, like all three guys stepping cross court, like pretty strong cross court. Okay. We're going to go up this particular shot, you know, just all the stuff, the standard stuff that coaches do, you kind of set up a particular defense and I uh, worked pretty well. you know, uh, you know, we didn't totally shut them down, but uh, you know, we held them down enough uh, to win the match. And that was actually something that we referred to for a couple of other hitters later in the season. Hey, okay. We'll put the nickel off defense on. Okay. Because he's kind of, this sort of archetype of a hitter. Okay. Yeah. We kind of got the nickel on um, or, and something like that. Um, so other, you know, plenty of coaches do this sort of stuff, but it's kind of one of these anchoring effects. Okay. Hey, here's a strategy that we had. So, okay. That's a chip that we have in the bank. Okay. And then if we see that similar situation, okay, we can know, okay, let's, that's what we're going to. Right. Yeah. I remember doing that as a, myself as a player, especially when I'd, I'd only played AVP for a long time and then going to the world tour and seeing all these like new, people and trying to scout them and and it was helpful for me sometimes to be like oh they're they're like whatever they're like so and so they're like billy allen or they're like 
uh, Austin Rester. And then, I don't know, just, I guess a little bit made me feel more um, like it wasn't so new and more comfortable. And then, yeah, they had those same tendencies. It just, yeah, I guess it just helped me feel more prepared and, and to have that plan going into the match. So I think it's helpful. The the last thing I had on scouts was um, what, what do you prioritize? Like what, if, if you can only, you know, as a, as a coach, if you can only spend 20 minutes looking at one thing in the indoor games, let's say like, like at the high school level where, where time is limited, if I can only like hone in on one thing and I could present that one idea, what, what would you recommend? Yeah. I think the most important scouting information is serving capacity. I think a lot, and it's also true for matchups. I think that people naturally tend to want to do it more on the block defense end, but you have the most control over serving. So it's much and passing too, because you can set up, you get to choose where you stand in servicing. Um, so I think that teams focus a lot on serving, I mean, attacking and blocking. And okay, that's should be part of a scouting report if you get to it, because you, but because yes, the one thing is um, where we're going to serve and or, I'm adding a second thing, um, how we're going to handle their best server or two. In particular, how can we get my best passer passing against their best server? Um, so, and just having a plan for that as a coach, even if you barely even present that to your players, it'd be nice if you present it to your players. But I think a lot of coaches don't think about, well, what if they have this really, they have a setter who's a really good server. Most setters serve from zone one and she's just going to serve straight down the line at zone five. She's got a great serve. Uh, it'd be nice if my libero wasn't in zone one in those rotations. And if she was, it'd be nice if I had a plan to reorient that rotation to not just let this great server just peg my zone five passer in the head for a seven point run, you know? So even if I just kind of rehearse a little bit of, okay, what if this server is against this rotation, this rotation, this rotation, and then if I can introduce the players, even if it's just something as simple as, okay, Hey, we're going to start like this, but if we're having trouble, then we're going to make this adjustment. Now the players again, don't feel like it's too chaotic. They feel like they have a little more control of the situation. I guess just to close, wanted to uh, to go into um, one what's next in the blog. Um, remind us again the the website so people could do it. And yeah, I guess what we have to look forward to uh, as uh, avid blog readers. Yeah, cool. Uh, so planning out kind of the content, kind of got the whole script, kind of got a bunch of stuff written out. Uh, the November's club month, so. Um, Probably as this podcast released, there's there'll be a few more things up there. Uh, the first one went out yesterday, where I looked at U13 uh, and some statistical trends, and then I'm going to compare that to U15, compare that to U17, and uh, you know the premium subscriber stuff. There is I'm kind of mapping out the first few weeks of practice, what it might look like for your club team, kind of trying to be pretty specific about um, hey, if you have two practices a week, here's what your first week might look like, second week, third week look like. Help coaches kind of try to get a good start. A lot of coaches are either starting about now or oh maybe a little more in December. A lot of times as as they as they really get started. And then, uh, of course, as we get into December, then it's NCAA women's volleyball playoffs. So that's, uh, you know, kind of an exciting thing. So I'll have some maybe kind of more like topical live content, match breakdowns and, and match analysis. And then who's your pick to win it right now? Ah, Got to go Texas. Got to go my former Pepperdine wave, David Hunt, you know, going from the men's that's side right. to the women's side with Texas. So uh, I'll, I'll back him there. They're looking pretty good. Okay. Um, and then like January, I'm actually, it's going to be kind of all about reviewing and 
So what I'll do is I'll I'll break down the NCAA tournament, some of the statistical trends there, compared to the men's world championship, compared to the women's world championship, and kind of look at similarities and differences there. And that's going to be kind of the springboard into into the next year, where then we'll take some of the training concepts. Okay, we see that this trend, we see that this other trend, and then kind of here's here's some ideas on how, how to train and improve some of those specific areas of the game. I'm doing a similar thing um, for the beach weeks is I'm taking uh, men's world championships into my national championships sorry doing some similar things okay so what do we see what's similar what's more is there certain levels where there's more first ball side out is there certain levels that are more transition oriented certain levels that are more terminal serve oriented using those uh, that three points of the triangle and uh comparing comparing them on the beach do you think um i know you talked about how i think this is now three four years ago it was like you know the beach we're just so much further behind from a statistical standpoint you know we're gonna learn so much more uh, we're like indoors, we're, you know, we're in such a different point when you first got into the game. Uh, I guess, where are we on that arc in terms of like understanding the statistical side of the beach game? Yeah, I think uh, one of the cool things is uh, the catch up. I definitely see it starting to come. And one of the, I think just the biggest challenge on the beach is just collecting the data Be- mm-hmm. because the tools are, are so awesome now. I mean, just the next generation of tools and visualization. So for people able to map stuff out or compare and form databases cases like there's you know there's some good stuff I you know I know like the USA national teams they have like some good uh resources um where they've compiled data and can look at stuff from different uh you know world tours and world championships and stuff like that uh, the hardest part I think is is collecting it so if, if you're on a team where you kind of can collect the data I think you're starting to get some knowledge about that and I think right now it's just a small sliver of the beach volleyball playing population so one of the things that I'm hoping to do is provide more of that information to, you know, you know, even on the NCAA, it's hard. It's hard to video your matches sometimes, you know, cameras get knocked yeah. over. You got to have five cameras at once and you run out of memory cards and it's hot out there. And it's raining, raining. you know, like, all that kind of stuff. And so much less now, imagine if you're in high school juniors level a lot of general trends like that's why they're general trends they apply for a lot of people so even if you might not have your specific data you'll be able to kind of see some of the, the overall trends and maybe make it more informed uh training decisions because people do know a fair amount about their own game so that's one of the things that i think some of the stuff that i've done with the triangle and also some of the uh kind of team profiles a lot of team a lot of teams or coaches or players they have a sense of like oh, okay yeah that sort of matches up i I'd like to verify it statistically, but I'm pretty sure that here's the area that we're stronger. Here's the area that we're weaker. So even if you don't have the statistical data, just being, just understanding the framework often helps people make uh, better training uh, decisions and where to focus on. Awesome. Well, looking forward to continue to grow that side. Although selfishly, I kind of hope you just just do LMU stuff and no one else learns anything on the beach side. The no, it's good to, good to keep going. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We're going to stuff that doesn't help well cool well joe it's always a pleasure um i'm really impressed that you're able to do this for a year and looking forward to another year of it and like i said i look forward to every every post and look forward to continuing to follow along oh thanks uh you know i'm I'm an i'm an avid listener of coach your brains out you know can i make a request please do these podcasts when you release one can you can you say if it's going to be a two or a three part or a one-off because what I like to do is I don't listen to them right when they come out. I like to wait until 
all two or three episodes. You know, usually you kind of put them in two or three episodes. Yeah. I like to wait till they're all out by that one person and then kind of listen to it almost like it's a longer episode. Maybe not everyone yeah. does that. So yeah. sometimes when the second episode has come out, I'm like, is it going to be a part three or should I listen to it right now? <laughs> so, so, so maybe, I don't know. It, it just, there, okay. there's one possibility to do that. I'll take that feedback. Yeah, I think we could do that. Um, you're one of the rare ones who we do part threes with. So normally part two. Yeah, I, I actually like the other way, like kind of uh, getting to getting to like separate it and like not not hear the info for like another week i don't know something about that and sometimes it's like nice to di digest the information but yeah I, I, we're all different so yes speak, speaking of of digesting my, my three-year-old just got home from from preschool so i'm excited to hear uh speaking of learning i'm excited to hear what she learned it, it appears cool. something about el pavo which is as you probably know turkey turkey so uh, so there we yeah. go excited to hear all that and uh yeah thanks thanks for having me on yeah tell her uh, we're gonna read pinkalicious next year at gulf shores absolutely i'm bringing it <laughs> cool. thanks joe thanks joe thank you